Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges of developing cooperative businesses. The Common Share is produced by Cooperatives First, a business development firm increasing awareness and understanding of the co-op business model and supporting cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For a backgrounder on co-ops and a better way to do business, visit our website, cooperativesfirst.com. That's cooperativesfirst, all one word, dot com. The site has lots of great business development tools and resources for groups forming new ventures. I'm Asa Marshall, and I'm joined today by Dan Matthews, the Communications Manager for Cooperatives First, and also Kyle White, the Education and Engagement Lead. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what a co-op is or what makes a co-op. And so you guys, I don't know who wants to go first, but take it away. What is a cooperative? You know, there's, there's, I don't think there's any one real definition of a cooperative that's arguably universally accepted. Um, one of the ones that we use a lot on the road, working with communities and talking with different audiences, we often simply say that a cooperative is a versatile business model. It offers groups an opportunity to work together using an equitable governance structure to do some economic opportunity. Yes. I think it kind of depends a lot on uh, how abstract you want to get about it, too. Like, and I think you could easily say it's simply a, a way of organizing a group of people as a legal entity that allows for equitable decision-making. And that kind of on its most abstract level is, is what it is. It's just an incorporated group of people. And that doesn't... The beauty of uh, organizing in that way is that it allows for a governance structure that... Uh, doesn't depend on those individuals remaining the same all the time. So it you know, creates succession. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, though, our definition of what a cooperative is really gets at the very, very core yeah. of, of what a cooperative is from a legal perspective. I did a little bit of homework um, to look at a couple of definitions from some other organizations around the world. And I'll just share some of those. The International Cooperative... Alliance. Uh, They define cooperatives as an autonomous association of persons united voluntarily to meet their common economic, social, and cultural needs and aspirations through a jointly owned and democratically controlled enterprise. And I I think this is one of the ones that is, is probably the most widely used. A lot of cooperatives that I've worked with um, usually use this definition either in their mission, in their founding documents, or somewhere on their website. Some of the housing co-ops here in Saskatoon, I know, do that. But I think it really gets at some of the values that cooperatives or certain cooperatives want to uphold. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly serves a specific viewpoint. You know, I don't know that um, uh, you necessarily see that in you know some of the REAs in mm-hmm. Midwest USA or something like that, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, like, it's like any definition. If you're, uh, it serves the purpose of the definer in, the, in a lot of ways. So, mm-hmm. One of the things I know we've used in some of our marketing materials is that it's a different way of doing business. Yeah. Uh, or I should say a different and sometimes better way of doing business. Um, and FCL, Federated Cooperatives Limited here in Saskatoon, also uses a similar definition. I'll just share that one. It's a different way of doing business. A cooperative is a jointly owned and democratically controlled enterprise that meets the common economic, social, and cultural needs of its members. Members can be any group of people, 
customers, employees, or residents, or organizations. So again, touching down on some of the, I think, values, but also hinting at the um, different and even better way of doing business as a co-op. Yeah, and for us, I mean, <coughs> we're based on a very practical level. Like We, we want to make uh, the definition of co-ops accessible mm-hmm. uh, to a broad range of people. We want the business model to be accessible to a broad range of people. So, you know, the way we talk about co-ops is probably a lot different than you'll hear other places, but uh, it's all serving the purpose of, of uh, making the, the, the model practical for a specific situation. So if we we know that someone is interested in a, a business or if we know that someone is interested in a community service, then we know how to talk about the model mm-hmm. when we approach them, right? So, and the, and the definition of co-op doesn't necessarily change or the values don't necessarily, the emphasis on what types of values are attached to specific types of projects uh, is going to change dependent on the situation, right? Like if somebody wants a fitness co-op in a small town, like they're not going to care too much about the seven values. And so this seems like something that should be fairly straightforward to define, but it sounds like there are quite a few different definitions or even ways of interpreting. Why do you think that is? Why are there different ways of sort of defining what a co-op is? I mean, there's probably a couple of reasons. One certainly is that cooperatives are very versatile and very diverse. Um, cooperatives fit and exist in just about every sector of the economy from oil and gas to daycares to tech companies to your grocery stores to banking. So I think, you know, the people and groups that are operating in those sectors bring different ideas and perspectives to the business model and use the business model in different ways. So accommodating those sorts of different viewpoints and diverse ideas and experiences are one explanation. But I think there's also, as we said earlier, some values that do get tied up into things, um, which may hint at why people might choose a cooperative business over something else, um, or how co-ops have been talked about historically. Yeah, for sure. And like in our case, because again, it's kind of a practical application of the model, or we're involved in the practical application of the model. You know, the definition is really tied to just being an alternative to either external investment or a government influence. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's an alternative way of people bringing a service or a product to their local region or a way of organizing uh, in terms of a partnership. And so you guys have mentioned a few times now that there are these seven cooperative principles, and they come up a lot when people are discussing what cooperatives are. So can we talk about what those are and maybe are they necessary in order to have a, a co-op? So we have the, the seven principles here with me. Um, I don't have the full definition, just the the general bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So for a cooperative to be a co-op, it needs to be voluntary, with an open membership, have democratic owner control, owner economic participation, autonomy and independence, education, training and information, cooperation among cooperatives, and concern for community. So... You know, as we said earlier, cooperatives come in all shapes and sizes, Mm -hmm. operating in all sorts of different sectors with different individuals or groups as their members. You'd probably be hard-pressed to find a co-op that doesn't do some of those, 
and also does do a good chunk of them just by nature of how people organize that business. A lot of these things, you know, you just don't see in certain sectors. A lot of cooperatives don't necessarily provide education, training, information about what co-ops are. Um, not to say that that's a bad thing, but to some level, all co-ops do reflect some of these principles because they are encapsulated in co-op legislation. Um, so if you take a read of the Co-ops Act, and I'm sure most people do. I know I do. <laughs> you'll see this sort of language reflected in some of the provisions in the Co-ops Act and defining what is a cooperative basis. For an organization to register as a cooperative, it needs to operate on a cooperative basis. And that, depending on where you are, has a different definition. But these principles usually underline that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate here because... Go for it. (laughs) I I think they're nice-to-haves, and uh, there's certainly co-ops that uh, try and adhere to um, some principles and and talk about them and include them in uh, in, uh, some of their uh, marketing and communication efforts. I would say that, I mean, a lot of it is dependent on uh, capacity. Like, if you're a larger cooperative, like one of the federated uh, cooperatives, for example, you have more capacity for... The cooperation amongst cooperatives, you know, our cooperation amongst cooperatives if you're a federation, and education and training of broader public or even of your staff is something that you can actually do. Whereas if you're a voluntary association of people who use community building of some sort, the education and training about cooperatives or cooperation amongst cooperatives is going to be a lot lower on your, uh, even 15, you probably won't even think about it, right? Mm-hmm. But what doesn't probably change is the democratic control. That is pretty much universal and built right into the acts. So you have no choice but to have one member, one vote. Definitely. I think when these were originally written, I mean, some of the cooperatives of the day kind of looked at their business and their business model and what made them such a successful group. And this is largely what they came up with to try and encourage other organizations to uphold these sorts of practices because it produced a better business in this one case, and has done so, I guess, in some other contexts as well. Absolutely. It helps differentiate the model from other business models because, the, uh, for one, the, the voluntary open ownership, you may could debate that all day probably too, but the opt-in option for a co-op is what differentiates it from most, you know, what we consider governments, and the dem- democratic ownership is, uh, you know, helps differentiate from a corporation or a lot of even non-profits. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's dive into that a little bit more there, Dan. You've mentioned how co-ops are different from other models. Can you guys expand on that? What makes a co-op different? So one of the ways I explain what a cooperative is, is by sharing that it's an alternative corporate structure. Most people, I think, are fairly common with the idea of a corporation, you know, through films like The Wolf of Wall Street and Wall Street Money Talks. And they're familiar with the idea of a stockholder and purchasing stock and ownership of a company. And a cooperative isn't completely dissimilar from that. Cooperatives are owned by their shareholders, the individuals who hold common shares in that organization. But as Dan said, the defining factor is that one member gets one vote. Uh, Whereas in other organizations, the other corporate models, you can purchase your control of the organization. Um, Certainly, other corporations and nonprofits can set out how voting works to be very similar to a cooperative, but certainly that's one of the key factors that is captured in legislation governing co-ops, as well as 
the cooperative basis. That cooperatives do need to have some semblance of these principles, you know, that they need to be member focused, that they need to be democratic, that they need to have voluntary open membership. These are some of the things that I guess legislation ensures uh, separate the business quality. So can you guys talk about why someone would choose a co-op over a corporation? In what situations would a co-op be the right choice when you're setting up a business? This is one of the things we talk about quite a bit when we uh, talk with communities and talk with, well, any audience really that are learning about co-ops. And the best reason to choose a co-op is because it fits. Uh, Because this type of business model makes sense for whatever it is they're trying to achieve. So if that's a situation where Um, They want to formalize a sort of financial or governance relationship. If a group wants to add value um, to the products that they're all producing, if they want to access a service that's currently unmet in their community, these are all areas where a co-op might be a good fit, but you maybe need to scratch the surface a little bit and determine if the business model is better on the subsurface level. So, for example, a cooperative might be a good fit because of the financial options it offers. Um, the ways that you raise capital through a cooperative. So through the sale of shares, preferred and common shares, effectively separating the investment from the governance of the organization. People purchase more preferred shares to help capitalize the co-op, but they purchase common shares to have voting rights. So even though individuals may invest more than others, every member still has that one vote. So that governance principle really sticks out for some groups as why they choose a co-op. And just before you go on, why would that be the governance structure that groups would want? I mean, what is the benefit to having that one member, one vote structure? Well, you think of how businesses fit into their communities. Um, Oftentimes, especially in rural and indigenous communities, businesses provide important services. They help the community meet its needs, and it's an important part of its prosperity. Having that owned by the community that accesses those services or those who work there or or supply that organization allows for a greater sense of ownership and attachment. Um, So in many ways, it may be a good business decision because having an ownership in a cooperative is a bit of a unique relationship that a person might have with that organization, and they might be much more willing to support the organization if they are an owner in that business. Dan, anything to add? Well, I mean, it also helps uh, define the governance of the organization. So if, uh, for example, it turned to that kind of fitness center in a small town, if you have that kind of situation, there's a good chance you're going to have high turnover in the membership. And the um, one member, one vote, if you have a really clear governance structure, that entity should survive despite how quickly the shareholders or members are turning over. And so at any one time, if the group of members are voting on the thing, there isn't one member who can kind of usurp mm-hmm. the purpose of the organization. Um, that same would be the true of a producer co-op. You know, if, for example, you had a bunch of um, maybe cattle owners in a, owning a feedlot, if they're structured as a co-op, that purpose is secure and that, you know, the more you supply, the better you do. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's your incentive for joining the cooperative. Whereas if it's a, a joint-owned feedlot amongst ranchers and each has a different stake in the game, the interests of whoever owns the most stakes is going to get served over the rest of the, uh, the members. So. 
And I touched on an important point too that separates co-ops again uh, and why people often want to form a co-op is the uh, patronage rebates that cooperatives distribute. Um, if anyone's a member of a, a cooperatively owned food store, they've likely had a check in the mail. It's maybe been a little bit smaller than you want it to be. But um, that's something that, again, reinforces that ownership. That's your share of the cooperative's profits. And there's tax advantages to that, too, which is maybe another reason why people choose the model. Cooperatives issue their patronage rebates before paying corporate tax. Um, so it's something to consider when uh, setting up a model. And maybe to illustrate this a little further, you guys, can you give some examples of why when a co-op would not be a good fit? When we were setting up a business, would you not want to choose the cooperative model? Well, I think that uh, there's a number of situations where that might be true, like where you set up uh, based on just pure values or ideology, like mm -hmm. choosing a co-op over a non-profit model for some, just for the sake of it. Uh, the other so the glaring one is that uh, putting a co-op in a market that can't sustain the co-op and assuming that it will work better because it is a co-op rather than a, a for-profit business or a regular for-profit business. No, those are, I think, some really good examples. Another area might be when there's an imbalance of financial contributions or control in the business. Cooperatives can get into hot water if power in the organization gets centralized. This might be particularly true for worker co-ops. There's a key individual who's leading the charge and all other members defer to them, then the model isn't really serving its purpose. Um, it's clearly just a sole proprietorship using the cooperative model as a costume. Similarly, if somebody wants to come in with a huge share of capital and other members aren't, you might find some issues there. But those are conversations that you can have and there are systems you can put in place to mitigate those issues from arising. Mm -hmm. um, and a question that I get asked a lot when I'm out talking to people about co-ops is why would you choose a cooperative over a partnership business model? Because it's better. <laughs> but why? There's a couple of reasons, really. One big one is that a cooperative does offer its shareholders a limited liability structure. So individual members are only liable for the losses of the co-op to what they've invested into it. But another reason might be to access that equal voting structure. Oftentimes when limited partnerships are formed, the general partner assumes all of the risk um, and the limited partners just see some of the benefits. And there are tax reasons why organizations might set up those. Um, I won't go down that path too much because it's a bit noinky, it's a bit technical, but certainly having a more level playing field in terms of sharing risk, in terms of sharing investment, and in terms of control over the organization, cooperatives are definitely a good alternative. Yeah, and uh, co-ops by the Co-ops Act in uh, most provinces is also forced to be a lot more transparent than uh, some limited partnerships. So, it, mm -hmm. you know, it actually provides a pretty good alternative to a limited partnership when uh, you're talking about broad, like large entities working together, like a municipality, a First Nation, or even like a private partnership in a town or something like that, because it kind of, it puts each of the partners on an equal footing and it forces them to uh, engage in a way that's transparent. So guys, if, if co-ops are so great, why don't we see more of them? Why aren't there more cooperatives popping up? Nobody knows them. I was going to say, I mean, the Cooperative Innovation Project at the University of Saskatchewan touched on this a couple of years back. 
It you know did surveys, did community visits. It touched over 2,200 communities across Western Canada. And some of the statistics that stood out for me from that were that 26% of rural residents didn't know what a co-op was, and 41% of Indigenous respondents didn't know what a co-op was. And fewer people knew what a co-op was outside of those really common examples like the credit unions, the co-op grocery stores, and the cooperators' insurance. So clearly a lack of understanding of the business model is contributing to that. And honestly, a lack of understanding around business development more generally is, is a big issue that I think we've seen in our travels. People value business development in their communities. They value community-based solutions. But it, it's often hard to get people involved in an economic venture. Cooperatives are ordinary people doing really cool things. But sometimes, you know, there's some hesitancy to get involved and do those really cool things. It's, you know, it's, it's easier to let people do things for you. Absolutely. That's why there's so many yeah. corporations and Walmarts and Sobeys around the world, because those organizations are there. It's easier to let them provide those services. And if the services are there, there's not really much of an incentive for people to act themselves. Yeah. I think that's um, largely why we've seen a, a lot of co-ops uh, in smaller market areas. Uh, rural areas like uh, you know in Alberta, the uh, electrical co-ops mm -hmm. largely you know uh, you have government that's reluctant to move in. You have uh, industry that's reluctant to move in, so you have farmers step up and, mm -hmm. and do it themselves. Yeah, and and now we're seeing a similar thing with uh, with broadband going into rural areas as well. Mm -hmm. Big telecoms don't see a lot of profit in going into rural areas, but mm -hmm. people want good internet service, and so they're they're collectivizing to do it themselves. Or food stores going into northern communities, mm -hmm. or cooperatives filling the role of uh, succession planning in rural and remote communities. There's a whole new wave of opportunities where cooperatives might be a, a good fit, but people need to know about the model, I guess. That's our job. Um, I know in some areas, often maybe co-ops have a bit of a bad name or a bad reputation. Um, when we bring up a cooperative, some people are kind of shy away from the model. In your guys' experience or conversations you've had, where do you think that kind of aversion to co-ops might come from? I think there's a couple different avenues that that comes about. One that I've heard a lot from the co-op sector is that when a co-op fails, it's more impactful. Um, and that's possibly because cooperatives have people directly involved in the business and who are going to get hurt if it does close. Um, a housing co-op or cooperative that I heard about that closed, it was really quite messy. And I mean, the owners of that business are the people that live there. So their lives are very immediately impacted by that change. So I think that's certainly one area. If people have been burned using the model once, they might be a little bit hesitant to it. Another thing that I've heard from some folks in travels is, um, I guess, an ideological view of cooperatives. I've talked to economic developers who say that they do economic development, not social development, kind of dismissing cooperatives as some social other, to which I, of course, my response is the biggest business in Saskatchewan is a cooperative and it operates a refinery. So cooperatives are fitting right in there in terms of economic development. You might hear a lot of people speak about a cooperative movement, but why, why do people talk about there being a cooperative movement? We don't hear about corporate movements or other kinds of business models having a movement behind them. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I've seen a lot of Twitter headlines saying, you know, the co-op movement is the fourth industrial revolution or um, things like that. And, 
you know, I'm sure the, the idea came about, I'm sure, when cooperatives really got into full swing back in the early 20th century or the late 19th century, when there were a ton of cooperatives, especially in the agricultural sector. And it was seen as a great way of doing business, people coming together, pooling the resources, sharing the benefits. That's fantastic. Um, I think eventually that did get attached to some sort of political ideology and promoted in a way that this is how businesses should be developed. And, and that's lasted for quite a while. A lot of people share the view that the cooperative business model is the best way of organizing businesses. I agree with that personally because I also like owning things and having a say in how my grocery stores run or how my housing complex operates. The co-op movement really speaks to the um, support that's out there for the cooperatives. I don't think any other sector or any other business model really has the momentum that mm -hmm. gets pulled together behind cooperatives. And it does speak to cooperation among cooperatives, mm -hmm. that principle, that big co-ops often help support little co-ops. I think Cooperatives First was almost a result of that. The cooperative associations and Cooperatives and Mutuals Canada, as an example, are advocates for the business model offering supports and lobbying governments to get more supports in place. But it all comes back to that viewpoint that shared ownership over businesses and um, different aspects of life are a better way of doing business. And most people have benefited from a, from either being in or around the co-op. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those that know that and uh, have appreciated it, they've become pretty strong advocates. Yeah, so that sounds like a good place to end there, guys. Join us next time on The Common Share when we talk about governance and why we need it. <laughs>